guys, this is John Lance, and uh, you're tuning into the Running Rugby Podcast. So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. We've got Leo and Toby here and we've got a big episode ahead of us today. We are going to be talking about our Wallabies picks after this first half of Super Rugby AU. Um, we've got some controversial selections some of our members been throwing around throughout the week. Um, but we'll quickly go through some of these games over the weekend. Uh, a little bit open and shut, more for Super Rugby Aotearoa here. Um, we had the Crusaders travelling to Waikato on Saturday night, taking down the Chiefs 32-19. to Not without its little bit of controversy in it. Um, ben O'Keefe's refing came under a bit of question with this one. Um, a try awarded, which I think most of the crowd and a lot of the players around thought was a knock-on that resulted in um, ball coming off Quinton Strange's hands, um, hitting the deck and Seve Reese picking it up. Uh, late in this game uh, to scoot through to score a try in the 61st minute. Um, boys, did you see that? Did you think that was a knock-on? Or do you agree with Ben O'Keefe? I found myself in a very odd position uh, agreeing with Ben O'Keefe in one of his controversial decisions. But the way I see this, the rules that it, all, the, all the reporters and outlets have quoted the rule, and the rule doesn't really provide a frame of reference for the ball moving forward. And we know that we talk about the ball coming backwards out of the hands. It's allowed to drift forward. Well, if a guy loses control of the ball, it's in the air. It doesn't contact anyone or any surface. And he sort of grasps back at it. If he knocks it backwards relative to himself, then that is, in effect, in my mind, backwards out of the hands. So, albeit he's moving forward at pace, the ball... Uh, in reference to the, the pitch that's not moving, it definitely goes forward, but it goes back relative to the player. And in the way that they ref controlled passes, if they apply the same theory to this, then it's back off the hand of the player, albeit with not a whole lot of control. It's a try. So I, I actually don't disagree with that. I think it is a try. And to be honest, it's another one where if anyone has a, a strong complaint, I think they need to, actually formalise the ruling about back out of the hands. I wouldn't want to see it, you know, leveraged against whether the player has control necessarily. I think that introduces too much grey area. If it's a matter of going back out of the hands and the the frame of reference is essentially the player's hands, Mm. well, then this was a try. Would you take into account that sort of the mood on the field and through the other players, everyone sort of reacted as if they thought maybe it was a knock-on. Severi sort of put the ball down, not with any great conviction. Um, didn't look like he thought it was a try. Like It seemed like well, everyone on the yourself. field thought that it was a knock-on and then Ben O'Keefe of course. declared as a preliminary decision and as a try and then you to. can't turn it over because it's not... I would think you always need to play the whistle. That's That's just a fundamental. Yep. But... Again, every player is assessing that 
based on their frame of reference. So if you're standing static on the field, you will see a guy run past you, swat at the ball, you watch the ball move forward, land on the ground, and a guy scoop it up. And you're like, that's gone forward. But if you were standing as the back line ran past you and were throwing passes, you'd also see the ball going forward relative to the field. So again, all the static players milling around, um, that that's exactly what they would see. They would see it going forward. But you've got to expect that the ref is moving with the pace of the game and will make a call. Or on review, it'll be seen that it was backwards relative to the player. Mm. So for sure that all those players would have thrown their hands up and the Crusaders guys might have been a bit sus. But Severus played the whistle, played through, put the ball down. Might not have looked convinced, but they did the right thing. They allowed it to play through. They allowed, the, I suppose, someone to score and then review it. And that I think that's the best process as well, that you... Give them the chance to assess it once the point's been scored, so you don't roll them of an opportunity to score when it's a bit borderline. I mean, in the end, this didn't really come down to change the overall result of the game. Warren Gatlin still feeling a bit sorry for himself with some harsh calls this week, and was complaining about these calls today. Um, I think, I think it's fair enough if if uh, you always should be allowing these plays to develop and see what's going to happen. Just with the Crusaders, I wanted to point out another stat, just looking at overall sort of um, defenders beaten in this competition. They have two of the top five players, and they're in spots one and two um, in terms of defenders beaten in this competition. Boys, can you can you guess on who those two would be? George Bridge and Severis. No, it's Richie Moanga, and it is... Uh, Will Jordan. Jordan. Leo, yep. right on both parts, yes. Um, Richie Moanga at... Top 25 defenders beaten with Will Jordan 2 behind him in 23. And the next closest is 14 with Ben Lamb um, and Mark Talea on 14 with Nani Lamarpia on 13. So just showing like Will Jordan having not even played, uh, been starting in all these games is still being that dominant. You saw him again getting over the try line, has a nose for the chalk. He was explosive at the start of the Atara Super Rugby season, and that doesn't surprise me at all that he'd racked up that many. I think this just speaks to the pace that the Crusaders play at. They give themselves those opportunities with flat balls, fast-moving backline play. Um, they're all hitting it up fairly straight. They they usually beat their first one-on-one when they pick the hole. So after that, you know, Will Jordan probably gets a few running in the backfield. Richie Moong has cut through the defensive line multiple times and and played on in support. So not a surprise that, that those two have the actual stats as well. Um, the only other thing for this game, the, the Chiefs can feel a bit, you know, sorry for themselves with, with result with the result, with the decisions, but they only put one try on in the whole game. Mm. Like, if, if they're just going to put McKenzie out there to kick penalties, that, that's exactly, that probably plays into the Crusaders' hands. Good teams will allow... You to you to take shots at goal like that when they're scoring tries against you. Mm. Sure, they're, they're under a bit of pressure. They'll infringe if they have to. You kick a penalty, that's a win for them. So, um, you know, if the Chiefs aren't up to scoring tries, that's just where they're going to end up. Too many points behind. And you'd have to say Warren Gatlin's All Black dream is quickly diminishing, isn't it? After you know, no wins in this part of the competition, and now you've got Scotty Robertson potentially leading the Crusaders to a fourth straight title if they get one more win in this competition. Yeah, definitely hurts it. But I think Warren Gatland is in this for the long game. He's obviously signed a multi-year contract. Um, It won't be the last we see of him. We'll see whether 
he comes back with a vengeance in, in future years. But yeah, for 2020, it seems like his, his job is done. And this competition is almost over. As you said, Crusaders just need one more victory to secure um, top of the pops here. Uh, they're going up against the Highlanders next week. While the Hurricanes technically have uh, an ability to finish top of the table, it's looking very distant for them. And the same for the Blues. They're needing the Highlanders to come up and then beat the Crusaders, I, th- I believe, with a bonus point as well. And all the focus is now looking towards what the All Blacks squad's going to be. And there's a couple of weeks after this competition concludes, there's the North versus South Island um, games set up to have a bit of a possibles versus probables sort of game for All Black selection with the squad being picked after that. Um, but a couple of names in this that stood back out after a few questions, I think. Uh, Cody Taylor got his set piece and his line out throwing back on form. Um, Sam Kane had a pretty monstrous effort along with Lachlan Boshier in the back row in terms of their defence and getting multiple turnovers in this game as well. So I think they're both sort of strengthening their claims to, despite being in a team that's underperforming, um, getting into the national squad. The other game on the weekend was at Forsyth Bar and the Highlanders going down to the Blues. And I didn't realise this, guys, that the Blues had never won at Forsyth Bar. The last time they won in Otago was back at the House of Pain. So since the new stadium's been in, uh, Blues have been unable to find victory, but they put it together. Another game with Bowden at 10, um, and he looked like he's slotting back and getting a bit more comfortable with firing some big long cutout passes to guys on the wing, putting people through holes. Caleb Clark, outstanding in this game, as well as Finlay Christie uh, getting a double as well, being on the back of a, running a few good support lines. Again, some controversy though. Aaron Smith claims that against him being pulling a bit of a Hollywood, milking a penalty um, with a trip over Carl Tuanafaki before the Blues, uh, before the Highlanders then throw an intercept with Dalton Popoli um, scampering away for 50 metres. Um, Fraser, the ref, called it all as Aaron Smith milking it and then having to go back after the try was scored, reversing a decision as well. Um, so again, continues to be some refing controversies in these games. And you don't want to see halfbacks trying to milk things. I'd I think the way they put, like Aaron Smith is is notorious for looking for those opportunities, and you should look for those opportunities when a player is just lazily running back offside. If he's interrupting your momentum, by all means, like you can throw a pass into him if that's the pass you actually wanted to throw. Like I don't like the idea that a, a player would deviate from what they were trying to do to trip over another player that's done their best to mm. to not Im- impact the the play. Um, I think there would probably be some value in, um, you know, allowing that if, if that's how the ref saw it. There's got to be a time when that just doesn't come off for a for a scrum half or another player, and they are punished by it. They they try and force something, and it goes completely the other way. A try to the opposition, and you say, look, it's not worth trying to milk these that hard. You're not always going to get them, and you may compromise your team's. Um, What's well, the same by, by doing so? It's the same as like when players stop um, opposed defending players rolling out of the ruck. They hold them in and then they claim, "Oh, look, he's in the way. He's in the way." And refs have started recognizing that and being like, "No, you're holding him in there." And it seems like Fraser was trying to recognize that the same way. No, I'm not just gonna give you, um, let you play up this penalty to get your team an advantage. It has to be an uh, appropriate sort of decision. Yeah. That's right, and and that's fair enough. Like you, you can't uh, manipulate the ref as such. He's going to ref what's in front of him. 
Well, you can manipulate some that... riffs, but yeah. Well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be trying to. You should just be doing your best to play the game. Particularly if there's if a genuine infringement. He's <laughs> the best. Can't, can't blame him for that this week. Going back to Super Rugby Australia, and this is going to lead into our super early Wallaby picks for 2020. Um, it was all entertainment this weekend, starting at Leichhardt Oval on Friday night. We had the Inner Western Force taking on the COVID Rebels down there at Leichhardt. Um, pretty, pretty great game between these two. We touted it as being close. Uh, my force didn't get up in the end. I, I think they were hurt a little bit by Ian Pryor pulling out just before the game, so Frisbee having to make a start despite a improved performance by Frisbee. Um, the Rebels were bolstered by Izzy Nicerani coming back into the mix, and this one went to a super time. 20 all at full time and it took Nicerani um, making his presence felt to crash over just from a couple of metres out to make sure the Rebels, in a sense, they stay in this competition. They're um, sitting there at third place and they're within distance of pouncing over the Reds potentially in second. Arch, did you just mention that your your force. I thought it was your rebels after your Waratahs. You, you're cheating on two people here. Well, I tipped the force. the force. That's what I was. <laughs> did you, you? You changed your tip though, didn't you? I did when I saw Pryor was out. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty mean to Nick Frisbee. He's not a bad player. Is easy. I think he's. To be fair, I also saw. Nice Arani was in. Yeah, that's a big in, isn't it? Previously, the front runner for the Wallabies number eight jersey. If he has a few more performances like this, you can see why Rennie might pick him to start there this mm. year. And I think that's fair enough. Like, Nicerani is not a bad player. He just needed to be healthy, in form, fit. You know, that's that's the only requirements he needs. He's got the 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 chops from from previous years now to to say I'm the number eight. I'm the incumbent. I belong in this spot. Someone's got to usurp me as long as he's fit and healthy and there's no question marks like that. Um, yeah, this was a really good game. Uh, Nick Frisbee was improved. Um, so that, that's that's really good. Like um, He and John O'Lance combined really well again. Uh, Byron Rust and... Um, another try. Another try. Like Just continues to be pretty impressive. Um, the, the force... Oh, sorry, the um, Rebels with their rejig backline... I don't know if they look better. They they still kind of were a bit stunted and disjointed. It didn't feel like they were playing, you know, really, really smooth rugby together. Yeah. Um, Max Moore was massive in defense, but we've said that before. Like, he, he puts on big hits. I, I just don't think he's got the, the creativity and the vision to really blow open a game and, and you know, just, you know, Cut up, cut up a poor defensive line when there's opportunity there. I just don't don't see that in him. But yeah, all in all, it was a really good close fought game. I don't know how many players really um, sort of stood up above and beyond the rest in the in the Rebels at least, which is where yeah. we're expecting people to be viewed for the Wallabies. Like, unfortunately, the Force we we know that they're kind of on the fringe because they haven't really been they haven't got players who've been in the outfit. Um, in the last few years, I really want John O'Lance to get an opportunity. I think there's a couple other guys in that team that deserve an opportunity, but you know, it's a, it's a real shame when they're matching up with a, a fairly 
mediocre Rebels outfit and holding their own. They're not even in consideration. Yeah, well, there were, as you said, a few players standing up. Um, Fergus Lee Warner was the number five for the force, and he had a pretty massive game, lots of work rate. I was hoping that he might come into consideration for lock stocks, but he's probably more of a six than a five. Um, He's 194 centimetres, maybe not quite up to sort of international second row level. Um, Really a big shame for Ferris, the number seven of the force, getting injured early in this game, uh, going off. Uh, and he's had a really good couple of weeks before this, so that was a bit of a shame to see. Really, I think it comes down to the players you might see in the Wallabies. Is as you say, John Alance. We keep talking about him. Have you seen enough from someone like um, Godwin to get back into Wallaby sort of stocks or anything, or even someone like Ralston, who's obviously shown try scoring prowess. I think Ralston, like, got Godwin, not enough time, and we've probably got enough guys who we'd think about as centres or wings. There's there's not a lot of space there to break in if you're not doing something really special, I don't think. Um, but Ralston, I, th- I think, is enough of a, a wild card. Like, he's shown just raw talent and, um, you know, good turn of pace, pretty good decision-making, solid under high balls, a um, little bit of kicking as well, like... He's he's worthy of throwing in for development uh, if if we think we've got a whole lot of wingers that are kind of there and thereabouts. Like I'd definitely be trying to find a way to get him in and and break up, I guess, the monotony of the DHP Hodge winger stocks that I just don't think offer much more than a big boot. Mm. Yeah, for me, I think it's just potentially John O'Lance coming in. And I think he has a good shot of making the overall squad. Um, Ralston may be in the, the first cut of the Wallabies team, but I can't see him really lasting once they cut it down to, to 32 or 33 kind of squad squad size. So there's definitely some potential there with guys, but I think they're still a little raw, a lot of them. Um, so I'm not sure they're, they're quite ready for international play. I like that they will get a chance. Like, if we can get at least say, John O'Lance and Ralston, and um, maybe there's a couple others from, from teams like the Force that haven't had a chance at all. There's going to be factors in the group, in in their training, in their sessions, where you kind of see a bit of extra leadership. You, you get guys talking to each other. You get a few more creative ideas flowing through the backs. A few um, guys who are just you know, really strong, fundamentally um, combined well in the forwards. Maybe, you know, maybe... You pack a few scrums down, you throw a few lineouts in, and you go. You know, this guy we knew he we knew he was good from his time at the force, but he's actually combining well with some of the incumbents. He's worth keeping. He's he's meshing well with the team. Um, you know, personality sort of stuff. Like, at least if they get a chance, that sort of stuff can fall into place through the time. If they don't make if they don't make the squad, at least it kind of shows that it's still a, a viable pathway, mm. which hopefully keeps mm. the Western Force strong. And you know those guys get a taste of what the system's like, what the what being in the greater squad is like, and then they can also get access to some of the, um, you know, the elite performance coach type guys who can give them more to work on. If you never let those guys into the room, you know, you're you're giving them such a disadvantage to everyone else who's there in year in year out. Like, give them the opportunity to to work on a few things. They might come back the next year and be even better, yeah, and have earned their place for real. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? You've got to see the the opportunity and the pathway there. And 
John O'Lance, who knows? I mean, he, he was meant to go to Edinburgh, so he could be gone next year. Um, we don't really have an understanding of what what competition the force will be playing in next year. That hasn't been confirmed. So for the moment, I think it's important for WA Rugby and the force that there is some representation, maybe if it's only just early on in the Wallabies, but yeah. there's got to be some sort of recognition there, I think. That's it. And just as for other people coming to that club, to see a pathway towards the Wallabies and the national comp, um, just so there is something to aim at for higher honours and something driving these guys. Going to the other game of the weekend, we, we highlighted it. We said it was going to be the game of the round, game of the season potentially. The Brumbies versus the Reds. And I don't think it disappointed. The Brumbies came out hot. A couple of tries in the first half to Falau Fainga, um, getting his mojo back and scoring. You think he's got five in a row in GIO Stadium or so now, even though he missed out away last week. Um, and then the Reds off the second half, and it was a bit of the Harry Wilson show early on there. He was busting through lines, um, scoring himself or making breaks. Uh, and let's be honest, guys, this is where the bulk of our Wallabies squad is coming out of this game right here. Um, and it came down right to the end. The... The young gun, Mac Hansen, coming off the bench, having to hit a penalty goal uh, from quite wide out at 81 minutes. And that's what decided at the end the Brumbies win this by 2, 22 to 20. They destroy some Reds dreams who, who thought they were going to pinch one at GIO Stadium. And they very nearly did. Um, Mac Hansen previously missed the conversion for the try that brought the Brumbies uh, within within a point. Um, so I had my fingers crossed and was, uh, I may have been, may have been speaking in voodoo, trying to get him to miss, to miss, to miss, to miss that penalty. Cause I really wanted the Reds to get the reward after turning around what was an ill-disciplined first half, um, still a really solid defensive half, like both halves, look at them separately. The, the Reds had about 40% possession. Um, they, they did a lot of defending. They were penalised a lot. They were lucky they didn't get carded. There was a couple of times when the Brumbies scored those first two tries when the Reds were pretty much on a card. And luckily, I guess the Brumbies scored and the way the the referees seem to play these things, they they don't tend to card if the team comes away with points, Mm. even though there was an infringement there that was worthy of a card. So a little bit lucky in that sense, but pulled it together after the halftime break and just came out firing, came out with real energy, Discipline. I think they conceded like one or two penalties in the second half. Like it was just a phenomenally different yeah. performance. And um, yeah, that that red wall defense just stayed strong. Liam Wright said it in the in the after match interviews that you know that while they'd lost and it was really you know heartbreaking to not get the win after such an effort, they were cheered on. They were cheered by the fact that the Brumbies managed to maul their way around and, and score tries. Uh, against them through those set pieces. But just the general play, even though there was a few more missed tackles for the Reds, they were strong. They covered in defense. Their one-on-one tackling was really good. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of good things to say for the Reds. And the Brumbies, I guess, just relentless. And um, and lucky they got that kick over there. It was a really good close game. How are we feeling about James O'Connor at 10 at the moment for the Reds? I think... He's doing some very interesting things, like no-look passes to Dalgunu on the inside. Just very creative play from him. Very different to what, say, Tamua offers, which is, I think, they're, they're almost the starkest comparison in, 
in two turns, yeah, where you're just feeding the ball on, running straight but feeding the ball on. Whereas just the way that it kind of changes up the the lines that he runs and some of the deft little offloads and stuff. We saw that when he came back in the Wallabies. He's got that those skills to his game, which I really like. Um, I think it's maybe a bit risky to play him at 10 for the Wallabies. I'm not sure they'll be up to that because he is very, um, yeah, unstructured, I would say. But I've been impressed with what I've seen from him. I think he's done a lot of good things. Do we think that pass was forward to Dalgunu? I think it was fine. Depends where you're standing, mate. Just on the replay, yeah, it does, I guess. There's some, <laughs> someone smoked and say about that earlier. No, he does. And and that's that's the kind of stuff which I, I don't know if it's the coaching or the strategy or just Tamur as his own, that's the type of player he isn't. You just don't get that. Like, you don't get that range of, it's, it's not even skills. Like, I'm sure Tamur can, can throw that same pass running that same line. It's the... It's the confidence to do it. It's it's is it instinct? getting it's around like... with this. It might I kind of like I kind of looks like he's got this steely it's determination. Like he's going to try a lot of different things. He's willing to try those things. He's not getting his head down when they don't come off. Um, obviously, the red support around him are executing it pretty well. So they're training. They must be training those things really well, and they're willing to put them in the games. And it's just that it's that courage in in the actual game day. Um, strat- strategy to to play those types of balls and not not fear that you're going to just drop it to the ground next to the ruck and someone's going to scoop it up and go 50 meters in the other direction. Like they're they're willing to try those things. They're not afraid. They're not they're not like I guess the rebels are. You know they can't afford to keep losing. They all lose their contracts and that that'll be it for them. Like the Reds are just willing to try these things and it's just you know it's more that- inspiring to see it. That comes from um, the influence, I think, of Jim Mackay as well, who came back into the Reds as the attack coach. Um, and he spent time with the Wallabies before, so he's very experienced. I think he gives a lot of confidence to these these blokes just coming in and chance your hand. Like, I mean, this is a competition where risk should be taken. It's not the normal format. And I think people like O'Connor, in the way they play, I think Rennie will appreciate this. Coming from a Chiefs background, I think... They've done a lot of things similar. The Chiefs, they used to play very expansively, um, unstructured play. And I think O'Connor, if, if Rennie wants to go in that direction for the Wallabies, I'm not sure what his plans are, but O'Connor's definitely a point of difference in that way to a lot of the other 10s. Um, and he's got the experience. I mean, he's been in the game, what, 12 years? He's very experienced and he's still only 30. Um, so we'd get a few years out of him yet. So I've been impressed with him. I think the other thing I wanted to mention about the Brumbies... You know, you continue to see this really great mauling play from them. They scored tries from this every game. Um, and I think Dan McKellar will soon be named Wallabies Fords coach. So that's, I think, a real positive um, going into the international season. I think he's looking to fulfill the rest or the remainder of his Brumbies coaching contract, which I think goes into next year. Um but after that, he'll just be, I think, full-time for the Wallabies. So after I doubted him a couple of years ago um, when the Brumbies were stumbling a little bit, they've really brought it together well. And I think, look, the Brumbies are the the way I think that the, the Wallabies should be playing, particularly in the forwards, with that Reds abrasiveness maybe thrown in as well. Um, but I think, Arch, you're right. Like you said at the start of, of this little segment, I think you know most of the back line and the forward pack will be made up of Reds and Brumbies players. Well, let's get into what your Wallabies picks are then. Um, 
boys, how do you want to do it? Do you both want to go through your separate squads or do you want to talk through it together? I think there'll be a, a fair few similarities uh, between you two, but a few key def- differences as well. I think we'd go tight five and then back row and then go into the back line, maybe just break it down like that. I'm happy to start. I'm, I'm going to go with a pretty familiar combination. Um, look, I think... CO and Slipper, you can kind of interchange a little bit like the Brumbies do at Loosehead. Um, just the way that CO stepped up his play a little bit in recent weeks, I'm happy to go for the younger man and have the experience of Slipper coming off the bench. So I'd have CO at Loosehead. Falau Fyanger, I think, still is the standout hooker in Australian rugby at the moment. Um, and he is a prolific try scorer, as we've seen. And then you have Taniella, I think, is ready to start at tighthead for the Wallabies. Um, and then in the second row, I'd pick a, a Reds combo of Lucan, Salakai, Loto, and Angus Blythe. Yes, yeah, so I'd, I'm pretty much the same. I'd, as, as unusual as it is to pick that second row, there just isn't that many um, second rowers around in the, in the competition at the moment that are standing up and, and doing their set piece, doing their defensive work, and doing their attacking work well. Uh, so I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, even if it is a stopgap to future seasons where we've got more of the, the stock we know or, or the young stock coming through and stepping up. The main difference for me, the only difference, is I have Alan Alatoa starting. I've got nothing against um, Taniola. I think he's an outstanding player. The thing that worries me still, though, is his discipline. So not so much this week. He, he definitely took a step forward this week and, and fixed up what was an issue last week of you know too much late contact. Um, I think he might have had one or two high contacts last week. Like he brings his energy; he's obviously a hugely impactful player. I see that as an asset, particularly later in the game when he can have that impact off the bench. So I'd have him on the bench, and I'd have Alan Alatoa starting. I think you've got a really good combination in the front row. I don't think you lose a lot from scrummaging, and Alan Alatoa is a defensive beast too. He's a mature leader. I think he belongs in the starting side. Just did you see like Taniella's? hit up even late when the Reds make a break downfield and then he's just hitting it up off a rock like at full yeah. speed, full tilt. Yeah, it was, I think it was there late are... in the second half maybe. He's yeah, just, it was yeah, just it was he really right before Patea's try got disallowed, he came just screaming through. Yeah. But there's Actually, a, there's the end of the second half, wasn't it? End of the first half, sorry. Yeah. So it was, he played 40 minutes and he's still bringing yeah. that intensity. And, and I'm not putting him on the bench because I don't think he can carry the minutes for the starting prop. We clearly can. Um, I guess early in the game, I don't want the the risk of the the ill discipline getting the ref offside. Uh, I don't want like maybe maybe Taniola's got a slightly more slightly more hothead attitude. Um, maybe he's is is he a more aggressive player? Oh, he's definitely a more aggressive player. Is is a unstable scrum which looks a bit fifty fifty for the ref? Are they going to look at Taniello if it's down on his side and say, oh? It's probably you. Like I don't know if he's got the really solid scrummaging reputation, the consistency um, that Alan Alatoa would. Mm. And uh, again, Alan Alatoa is a captain. He talks to the refs. He's probably got more of a relationship with them. I think that's a safer starting point. So maybe it's a bit conservative, but I also think that just means you can unleash a fresh Taniella at the 55, you know, whatever minute mark. And those runs where he comes barreling through. He's running at a, a back row or an inside back that's sixty something minutes deep into the game. Um, that's where I think you yeah. can just you make better use of that impact. I don't think you lose anything with Alan Alatoa. 
Which maybe might be the argument to start Slipper as well and really go for that really stable front row and then bring on the energy of Co and Taniella together with 30 minutes to go and then you just wreak havoc. Because I think they're, they're the two more mobile props. I'd rather give Slipper the latest start and say, okay, you, you come on and you do 30 minutes of, of hard work because um, he will bring energy as well and you can really just bust him in those last 30 minutes. Um, but again, you need some stability, particularly... When you look at the backup hookers, like I'm, my backup hooker at the moment is Brendan Payne Hermosa. And you might shake your head at that because, you know, what what's he doing above some of the other stocks? Well, at the moment, I've you watch no the Reds one. game. Well, again, it's a bit of a lack of depth, but you look at the Reds game and I see him and Murphy as um, similar in a lot of ways. Murphy's maybe a little bit more um, mobile. He certainly showed it in other weeks. But I don't think you gain enough from that that you can afford to lose Brennan Paying Amos's line-out throwing, which was and clinical on the weekend, and possibly scrummaging. You've got a bit, bit more weight. Murphy's line-out throws on the weekend were atrocious. Came on, and he was immediately all over the shop, and, and that stunted the Reds' momentum a bit. So um, just for, again, scrum and line-out stability, BPA is your backup, and if you've got BPA, Taniella, and Slipper, I think that's a good combination. Bit of bit of experience there with the youth. So no Pone Famasili? For either of you? No, you don't want uh, someone no, jumping over rucks and doing handstands in the middle of your ruck and being a general... Show me when he can, show me when he can play 80 minutes of super rugby and then I'll, I'll consider him to be, you know, the fifth or sixth prop in the squad. But those four props should be, I think, starting... Unless, unless injuries obviously come into play, I think starting or on the bench, those four props are your props for the rest of the year. Yeah, and you want to bring in someone like an Angus Bell and, you know, in the squad depth, but, you know, that comes in time. Those guys are clearly the best four. Do you think, you talked about Lucan being there out of necessity. Do you think we'll, we'll see him play at six internationally again, or do you think he's actually found um, that he we see a better sort of version of him playing in a bit mm. tighter? I mean, he had 16 carries on the weekend. Um, for the Brumbies, had an excellent game both in attack and defence and seemed to be really getting into that sort of workhorse mode for a forward pack. I think that's what he needs because that's what has been lacking in his game, the consistency, the just, yeah, the workload. Like, he, he has shirked responsibility in terms of doing the hard yards and sitting out wide more as a number six, trying to do those wider runs. I think it's really good seeing him in tight. Um, gives him the structure he needs, and I think... He has been bringing the intensity throughout the game. I've seen him a lot more present in these games for long periods, and that's impressed me. And I think that's enough of a case. He's like he has the stature for an international second rower in combination with young Angus Blythe, who is a big body. Um, we would be talking about Rodder if Rodder was still in the picture, but Blythe has taken his opportunity, and I think. He's been playing as well as any other second row in the competition mm-hmm. in this last like five weeks. So I can I could see that combination really working for the Wallabies. Yeah, the Reds line out, the red scrum, these things are as stable as they are because those two have stepped up. I think as a matter of necessity, Lucan isn't going to get a lot of opportunities at six with some of the competition that's there. Whereas if he can hone his his skills in the line out and always be reliable in the scrum. And, and then you're right, just keep it tight in the five. Lots of hit-ups, lots of defense. Don't try and do anything sort of too too elaborate beyond that. 
Um, it just it just gives you a narrower field of, of responsibility, but just execute that really well. I think that's definitely the best option for him in my mind because there's a lot of back rowers out there and it's hard to differentiate. How I would compare him to in terms of another, say, Kiwi lock would be Patrick Tuopoloto. I think there's a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. their two games. They're still quite mobile, but when they play tight, I think it works really well. Um, you got to keep things simple. I think... The problem is before we've expected Lucan to be doing these crazy offloads, running wide, um, being a really dynamic back row, and I don't think that's him. Um, I remember seeing him in the NRC playing second row, um, and that's when he burst onto the scene after that for the Reds, and I thought, well, he's the second row, and then he got moved around by Checker, um, never really settled on a position full-time, and I think at the moment, Thorne's you know, obviously plugging up that second row for the Reds, and I think that's worked in his favour. I think that's now. Um, he should be trialled at the second row for the Wallabies for a few games. And and similar to what we've seen in New Zealand, like Locke's obviously where we're struggling and and there's there's probably pressure on young guns like Darcy Swain or Nick Frost from the Brumbies to be put up early, but there was a caution from Dan McKellar um, after the game of the weekend not to put too much pressure on these young guys that are just coming through and forcing them into um, the higher levels too soon and potentially crushing sort of confidence or, or stopping their development slowly um, up as they do. But let's move on to back row. And there's obviously going to be a little bit of uh, differences of opinion here. Leo, should I assume that I'm not going to see the current Wallabies captain in your starting back row? That's that's assuming he is the current he's his last year's captain. We don't know if he's this year's captain. Um, he's certainly said uh, in an article recently that he was happy if he got offered or was asked to do it again, he'd do it proudly, which is good. Um, but I'd also kind of expect any player to say that. Yeah. Um, no, Michael Hooper is not in my back row. He's not even in my twenty-three to be honest. Wow. Um, at this point, so I mean, I didn't expect that, but. You know, you start putting a team together. You think about who's in, who's out, and you, you kind of get to a to a push point. And my my back row is still Rob Valentini, Liam Wright, and Harry Wilson. Um, that was that was what I'm sticking with until I see a bit more of Nicerani, and we know he's absolutely fit and and in form. Um, but he's on my bench because I think he's certainly valuable and he's the incumbent, and I expect him to be there. And I'm not too fussy either way, really. Um, so you just watch him and Harry pick... Wilson place for place if Nasirani was placed yeah, out of his skin To be honest, I'm, I'm happy with either. Um, if Nasirani is in his best form, absolutely. 50 minutes of him and 30 of Harry Wilson, no dramas. Equally, if Nasirani is you know, playing all right and Harry Wilson's really stepping up, I don't want to put too much pressure on the guy either. But if he's our best eight, then he's our best eight and he should be there. Um, and you start thinking beyond the initial three, and you know Pete Samu has been playing really well. Has been playing with this wide-ranging eight, um, obviously having a big impact for the Brumbies, and potentially could bring that to the Wallabies. Um, there's other guys in and around, obviously Hooper as well. But when you do take a five-three split on your bench, you need a second rower. We already know our stocks are low, and unless you're expecting uh, Valentini or Wilson or nice Arani to to back up in there well that's all well and good but you still need one genuine proper lock so my hand has been forced and rob simmons is also on my bench at nine in the 19 jersey so 
with 19 jerseys, Rob Simmons, 20 Nicerani, and I'm expecting three backs, I have no room for Hooper. I can't pick Hooper because I, I don't have, an, I don't actually think I have a need for his style of game, but I, he, there's no room for him without him starting in, in other people's back rows. I just can't fit him in. I think that's the question. You can only really pick one true seven. Will it be Liam Wright or will it be Michael Hooper? I mean, Will Miller's in the frame as well. I don't think he's probably, he's clearly third choice at the moment, but he's playing well. Pete Summer, we've seen he can play six, seven, eight. But again, I think he still probably falls outside that 23. Um, For me, initially, I had Valentini, Hooper at seven and eight. I had Harry Wilson but again, I would have Nicerani on my bench and I'd be happy with either of them starting because at number eight, such an important position overall, we've struggled in the last few years. And I think now we've got two really high-class number eight options there, which is great. What I was saying to Arch earlier was, could you try and fit Nicerani and Wilson in the same back row by playing Nicerani at six, you move Valentini to seven in more of an Artie Sevilla mold, and then you play Harry Wilson at eight? And maybe you have Hooper or Liam Wright on the bench there. Um, that's an option as well if you want a bigger, slightly less mobile back row. And I think, you know, against a team like South Africa, like that would work. New Zealand, I mean, it's debatable. It probably depends who they pick as well. But I think that's a really interesting kind of combination to look at as well because all those guys are great ball carriers. They're hard workers. They can, you know, they can do the line out. They're they're good around the park. So I think you don't lose too much if Hooper isn't there in that respect either. So the good thing is we have so much quality in the back row. I think that's our strongest part of this Wallabies team will be in the back row. I don't mind that um, Nicerani, Valentini, and and Wilson combination. It's not my first pick, but I, I could see that working. I think actually now more and more so, maybe Valentini's the one who's a bit more at risk because he's, albeit he's putting in a good shift every week, and I'm not unimpressed by him. Is he doing enough? I, I just at this point I really don't see how you leave Liam right out of the 23. Like he's a leader, he's pilfering, his lineouts, his um, his ball carrying, his defence. Like he's he's doing everything right. What if he gets the number six? That lets Hooper into seven. And then you've got Naya Sarani, say, at eight. I think that's actually a pretty good back row if I have to have Hooper. Um, but unfortunately, that means Valentini's out. And then it's uh, who's in Valentini or uh, Harry Wilson on the bench. Valentini's got to make sure that he's putting his name forward, scoring a try here and there, and um, you know keeping, him, keeping his name up in lights. Because possibly, the more I think about it, is he the one who's at risk if... The, the Wallaby selectors see Liam Wright um, as such a um, as such an elite player as I have come to. I don't think I don't think Liam Wright though would get a start at six. Well, I he's just start been doing it for the Reds in the, in the twenty three. I know, but I, that's, that's why I, I think, think it should be of having of wanting to play Fraser McWright. I think that's why they've done that, and then they've realised yeah. potentially it's better to move Liam Wright back to six. Uh, so, sorry, to seven, and then have Angus Scott Young. To have a bit more bulk in that back row, but but if you have to have Hooper, these and... are good problems to have. But yeah, if you do yeah. have to have Hooper, I still don't think you could play Hooper and Liam Wright in the same back row. I, yeah, and I struggle to see how they'd both be in the twenty-three. But Arch, what do you think? 
Yeah, I, I do have trouble picturing having um, Wright and Hooper both in the back row. I think we're, we're in a place now in world rugby where you need a couple of really big, strong, ball-carrying sort of back rowers. Um, and I think you're right, we're lucky we have that at number eight. And you do need someone, whether it's Valentini, whether it's Pete Samu with his ball-carrying or whether it's someone else. Um, I don't know if Liam Wright quite offers that sort of ball-carrying physicality. He's obviously really good in terms of work rate around the park, defence, pest at the ruck, and his line-out work. But it might be just putting a little bit too much onus on your general play, hitting the ball up between your um, locks, your big men, and and your number eight, whether that's Nicerani or others. And it's, it may actually come down to who gets the captaincy because you want the captain on the field. If Hooper misses out and Rennie's looking towards 2023 where Hooper will be, you know, just past 30, I think, it, towards the latter stages of his career, maybe you do take a change now. You go, okay, new captain in. Maybe it's Al Alato. Who knows who it is? But then that might open up the number seven spot for Liam Wright. I think that's probably potentially how it would occur if Rennie wants to change things up at the captaincy spot. Let's go to another place where we seem to have a bit of a wealth of talent at the moment, which is um, quite a nice change from some times in the previous years into the halfback spot in particular. And I think it comes down to whether you're going to go with the tried and tested um, returning Nick White. Again, he's been in the Brumby squad now, but hasn't made the park. Um, We haven't seen him in Super Rugby AU this year, but he was sort of a revelation taking the job off Genia last year. Or do you pick one of these younger guys that are just coming through? Powell's been in with the squad for a few years, um, but hasn't quite been able to make his mark at the national level. Or you go Tate McDermott, the new hotness up there, um, from Queensland, and I think a lot of people are calling for Tate to get a get the first shot um, at the nine jersey. Yeah, when you mentioned last year, like Nick White coming in and usurping Genia and just looking like a different player again, um, like that's if, if he's still that player and he, and he uh, can have that impact, uh, he's very worthy of this conversation and and potentially the starting position. I, I've gone with Tate McDermott because I think. He's showing it in the Super Rugby AU competition. Um, unfortunately, I haven't got him um, combining with O'Connor in mind, but I see O'Connor coming off the bench with my lineup, and I think that's, again, a valuable combination later in the game. If O'Connor's there as your inside back sort of centres um, reserve, then you, you gain that later in the game. It's it's just another another layer to, to your squad that, that's a benefit. So who is your 9 think- combo then, Leo? So I actually I'm I'm, I'm pushing a, a a tough line. It's it's going to tough sell. But I, I honestly think if someone like Noel Alessio is injured or coming off injury and and maybe a bit um, short of match fitness, Will Harrison hasn't been showing enough in the Waratahs pack. Might do better behind better forwards, but that's a bit of a a gamble. Um, I'm putting John Lance in because I think he deserves his opportunity. Um, I think he's playing out of his skin for the force and he would certainly benefit from putting, you know, some, some higher tier players around him. And he knows a lot of these guys. He's played at the Reds. He's played at the force. He's played at the Waratahs. Um, you know, he's been in and around 
Australian rugby for long enough that these people playing alongside him aren't unfamiliar. I think you give him the chance. He's mature. He's shown that he can perform with a bunch of different people. Remember, he's only just come back into the force. He hasn't been training with these guys for months. He's only just come back in, and he's driving them around the field and keeping them up against pretty much all the Australian teams for the early parts of the game. So I want to reward that. I want to see what he can do in the Wallabies frame, and I think he'll pair well with Tate McDermott. I can't argue with that. I think Jono would be a really good option. He's really adaptable. He's really experienced. You know, he's a dual Super Rugby title winner. He's played in Europe. Um, he's been around the traps. He's a hard defender. Love the flat balls he can throw. He, you know, I feel like he's playing with a lot of confidence at the moment, with a bit of dominance over other other players he's facing up to, assertive on the game. This is probably the most confident I've seen him in, in a long time, actually, because I saw him lose a little bit where he wasn't getting game time at the Waratahs after coming down from the Reds. And I think playing in Europe has, has done him some good. So can't argue with that. For me, I was going with Noah. And it will come down to timing with his injury recovery. I don't know if he'll have enough. I don't think that you can. Don't think he's going to have enough games under his belt. Be yeah. My fear is they're going to pick Tamua, which I don't want. I think we're pretty vocal about that on the podcast that Matt Tamua we don't see as a, a viable option at ten, perhaps at twelve, but not at ten. Um, the other guy I'd like to mention would be James O'Connor at ten. I think he's done a good job for the Reds. Um, whether he's done better than Jono, that's probably up for debate. Uh, I think Jono is probably a more traditional 10 option. Um, but yeah, at nine, too many options almost. For me, I'm still willing to pick Nick White off the back of his performances last year for the Wallabies. I thought he's outstanding. Uh, I don't see any reason why that should change. Um, the only problem is that he hasn't had the, the game time yet. Um, we'll have to see whether he plays you know, much of a part for the Brumbies over the, the last, say, four or five fixtures, whatever's left. Um, for them, if he does, I'd be willing to give him the starting shot. Again, he's very experienced. Um, I think he offers that fast passing game. He's got a great running game. Um, but I would put Tate on the bench if he wasn't starting. And my third nine at the moment would be Joey Powell. I think he's probably done enough to earn that right to be the third um, option in the squad. Um but look, there's still guys like Jake Gordon floating around who's been injured, um, who I think is still a genuine contender over the long term for that Wallabies number nine spot. Um, people talk about Lawrence. People talk about, you know, even Moses Sarovi could be an option down the track. There is a lot of talent coming through. Isaac Fines. Um, there's, yeah, there's plenty of options at nine. For me, it would be Nick White and probably, you know, Noah in the first instance, but John Owen and James O'Connor with that experience. Let's keep rolling through and centres, boys. This is probably where I think we're going to differ the most from what, say, the, our Fox Sports commentary counterparts would pick or potentially what most would pick. Who is your 12-13 combination for the Wallabies in 2020? Pretty cut and dry for me. It's Irae Simone and, and it's Tavita Kurandrani from the Brumbies set up. We saw glimpses of Irae Simone's play last year for the Brumbies and he's t- taken it up another level again. Um, he's putting multiple good games you know, together. And I think TK still defensively at 13 um, with his carries as well. 
Um, his knowledge of the game, 13 is the most important position in the back line defensively. Um, and both of those guys are big bodies, which I like the look of, um, particularly if you're picking a smaller 10. So for me, it's it's pretty simple. You pick the Brumbies midfield and you just go with that. And I completely agree. And I'd add to that, um, you know, this, this year, start of a World Cup cycle, you're going to see some turnover. There's going to be some new combinations, new picks. Having an incumbent combination from your most successful Australian team with the maturity and experience of TK just to just a bind in the in the centre of the back line there. Um, I think that's absolutely the right decision for this year. Uh, last year in the World Cup, we were talking about we had James O'Connor, you know, Patea before he was injured. Um, these were seen as more dynamic um, options than TK. And I think James O'Connor proved that as well. I think he was playing really well at 13. But he's now just spent most of the season at 10. And I think he's developing that side of his game and I'm happy that he's doing that and I don't want to see him shuffled over into 13 because I think that's just a waste of the time and effort they've put into him at 10 and he's definitely we need more viable options at 10 particularly with his experience and then you know you looked at the car you look at the cast of people who could make the centers that are inhabiting the Melbourne Rebels lineup and I mean it's just a whole lot of vanilla nothing people have been shuffled around different positions I don't think add any spark haven't played consistently. It doesn't help that they're in a team that's that's up and down week to week. Um, but, you know, I don't want to see Hodge at 13. I don't want to see Matt Tamur at 12. I feel like that's more of the same. It's a reset start of the cycle. I'm, I'm worried that that's what we're going to get is like a Tamur-Hodge centre pairing or even Tamur-TK and they'll be like, oh, Tamur used to play at the Brumbies. What a great combination this will be. And he's like, what are you doing to us? Like, stop going backwards. It's time, mm. it's time unfortunately... There's guys who've been in and around the system for, you know, three, four more years and they just haven't really set the world on fire and unfortunately their time has come to play a bit role and, you know, it's like guys in the cricket. They're in the Sheffield Shield. They've had their, you know, breakout. They never really turned into anything. Those guys get back in when they've plugged it for a few years and put up stat after stat after stat and maybe they get back in that way and they've earned it. I think it's time to move on from all these guys, most of whom are at the Rebels. Pick the Simone-TK combination. And when, you know, guys like Patea are a match and have more um, um, more form sort of strung together, you know, get away from these injury periods, that's when you can start seeing if there's a different element you need to bring into your side. But the combination at the Brummies is, is elite at the moment. They're playing it's, elite. It's simple. And... If they don't do that, that's a real mistake, I think, straight off the bat from Rennie. If these guys continue the form they've shown for the rest of this competition and then we go into October when we go into these international games, you play them for three games or whatever it is, three or four games in a row. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We move on. We, we try something new. Those guys have earned the right to be there. And if you change things around and you play Tamura at 12 and Hodge, like you say, at 13 or something, some weird combination like that, Look, we're setting ourselves up to foul against the All Blacks. We need two of the best guys in form at the time. Yeah, and not only would that be massively uninspiring to other players and to the rugby-loving public of, of few as there are left in Australia, like, that doesn't inspire anyone. And what does it say to guys like Simone, who've played, so far, a brilliant season, have done everything right, have adapted to new rules, more kicking in his game, he's getting these 50-22s, he's... He's reading the field, the you know the the layer behind the defence better. Like if if you can't break in off that form 
in that combination, you're just going to create a whole lot of dispirited players who aren't getting a shot, and they're going to go overseas, and you're going to have less depth and more vanilla. You just get the guys who stick around, you'll be picking them every year, and that's not inspiring for players or spectators. Much. The thing I like most about what you guys are saying, and it is a difference uh, from previous years, is picking people, um, which we keep saying, in their actual position. This is the position they're playing in week in, week out. You're not shuffling them around. Like you said, you're not moving O'Connor back out to outside centre after playing a full season at 10. You're not shuffling Hodge around multiple, multiple times into different centre roles or out the back three. So I really like that. I really think there's nothing I can say against those points. I think it's absolutely um, clear to me, and I think hopefully it's clear to Rennie as well um, what he should be picking there. Now, going on the same sort of line, the back three. Again, are you guys going to go with a new combination that you're going to develop? Are you going to be, be picking these players that are specialists in their position? Are you going to keep some of the old names? I mean, you're making a lot of changes to this team. Do you need some of the um, veterans to be hanging around to help guide the team? Someone like Haylett Petty in there at number 15, or does someone like Hodge or anyone get get a wing spot, or are you going out and out uh, role players for this as well? Definitely going role players. Like, <clears throat> this is, we're talking about a 23, a match day squad. The squad that trains is larger, and I think those guys have a role to play in that squad. Um, if you think they've got skills or experience, which will be, uh, you know, of benefit to these other players. But now's the start of the cycle. It's the time to reset. It's the time to, you know, break break any molds that were, were keeping you stuck in your ways. Um, specialists all the way, and you keep your spares on the bench, and you do have to make compromises with your bench. You won't get a spare for every position that's your perfect spare. Don't try and include jack-of-all-trades in the starting lineup to cover potential injuries. Um, and with that mindset, Marika Korobini, specialist winger, playing at the top form in this competition, even in a, a weak and up-and-down side. Um, I believe he holds his position there on the left wing. I also think Tom Wright has earned a spot from the Brumbies. Um, he's been electric, uh, again, showing a set of skills that he's probably cultivated as a 10 back at schoolboy rugby. He's, he's had his time in league. He's come back into the union and um, just showing a pretty mature game, good decision-making and good defense, good attack, quick turn of pace, good support play, not putting a foot wrong. So he he as well has had a solid Super Rugby AU season. He deserves a wing spot um, over over the sort of merry-go-round of guys we've used in recent years. And I'm going to Tom Banks at fullback again. He's he's there in the back of the Brumbies lineup. It's more opportunity for combinations. He obviously works well with Simone and Kuradrani and Wright. Um, there's something you can build on there. He he brings a bit more um, of a dynamic game from fullback more than someone like Hale at Petty. Um, maybe maybe you lose a bit with kicking. I'm not even sure you do. I think he's got a pretty good boot. He's pretty accurate. See the way he lines up for his kicks for touch. Like he's pretty methodical. He doesn't tend to shank those, um, and and he's got a bit of that elusiveness that I don't think that Hale at Petty has at all. Hale at Petty will take the tackle. Where he's under pressure and hopefully keep the ball, you know, lay the egg and, and keep you out of trouble. Whereas Banks might actually break the tackle and turn that counter into something. Um, I'd much rather have that. Let's let's give him the chance to 
expand his game and evolve further in the international scene. I have no doubt that DHP will be in the squad somewhere, and I think that's justified. I think he, he brings that experience. He'd be a great guy, maybe even outside the 23, to, to be around the group and offer a lot of advice. But I think the time again has come to move on from some of these older heads that aren't quite at the peak of their powers. Um, if you're picking Corabiti, which I think he will be the, the lock for the left wing, my only other consideration for the right wing would be Jordan Patea, who I think maybe even at this stage of his career is better suited to playing on the wing, um, which maybe we should have done more of with Israel Folau back in the day. But at the moment, I think Tom, Tom Wright's the guy with the form at the moment. It may change over the next month or two, but we'll have to wait and see. If you're picking it today, I think Tom Wright is your right winger. And I think... Although Tom Banks has only just come back, really, the last couple of weeks or so, um, they were saying that he wasn't quite 100% in those those early games. So now he's kind of coming into to top form. And I think that he, again, Chris Latham 2.0, unleash him for the Wallabies. He's got the pace. He's a try scorer. That means we're playing a back three of genuine try scorers with genuine pace. We haven't seen that for the Wallabies for a long time. Yeah, and again, even just looking across the different teams at the moment, who's his competition from fullback? Like, the Reds have shuffled it around a bit. I don't think Jock Campbell's ready. Uh, Bryce Hegarty's, again, a, a good, solid player. He's probably, you know, DHP light. Um, you've got the Waratahs, whose fullback I can't even name because... Jack Maddox. What? Jack Maddox. <laughs> so well, there you go. Well, Jack no, Maddox is honestly... the only other option. Yeah, surely that's got to come into consideration. Say, yeah. He's the only other guy that I would consider, but again, his form has dropped off dramatically in the last two games or so. He's looked like he's dropped the bundle a little bit. He doesn't look confident. He's in the squad, but if, you know, he may be on the bench for you, but I don't think he's ready to start. No, I had had Jordan Patea on the bench for the same reasons you said. I I think he has shown it before, as long as he's fit and healthy, coming back from injury. No issue putting him in there. Covers a couple of different positions, give you a bit of flexibility, but ultimately is you know can can slot into the back three. Um, I guess the only thing there is who goes to fullback. But if if I have O'Connor on my bench too, you've got some flexibility there too. Um, no, and, and that was a genuine like blank of who the Waratahs fullback is, and that's only the case because Maddox hasn't done anything in my mind to really light it up and, and prove himself. Like, if Maddox was playing out of his skin, there's no way I would have just blanked on who the Waratahs fullback first, was. First two games, he had his moments, but the the next two had a few shockers, and, yeah, it doesn't seem... He doesn't seem... look confident. Well, he it's, just it's looks... Not... This is a new thing as well. out there. He looks unhappy. He looks like he's lacking confidence. After a few things go wrong in his game, I think the third game, he did a few things, made a few mistakes then suddenly that's affecting him. That's not what you want in a guy, particularly on the top stage. You need guys that make mistakes. They're willing to make mistakes because they're trying things, and then they move on. You don't see their body language change. They drop their head. Maddox, if he's doing that at super rugby level, that's a problem. And and he's probably caught in an awkward situation, the Waratahs, where he is senior in um, you know, representative honours, like he's been a Wallaby, he's been on tours, He's he would be seen in this new back line as a senior player, and yet he's still quite young, and so he's not as mature and experienced as a senior player might be in another team, uh, Bryce Hegarty or a DHP. And 
So he's the one who's really got to shake off the doldrum or whatever is his game by game or in you know in the week, and and find a way to to pull his backline together, pull himself together, because no one's going to do that for him in that backline. So he needs to do that. And if he's not resilient enough to do that, then I worry that his form with the Waratahs form may just spiral. And that'll be another case of the Waratahs bringing in someone who on nameplate value was sensational and huge potential, and it's just been wasted. But it's, it's part of how he's nurtured as well. Yeah. And I, I, I know I don't you, you, you said you've seen him in a couple... No, no, I, I'm saying I'm worried that it could happen. I'm not saying it has happened, but yeah, Maddox, you, you say you've seen a bit out of Maddox. I've I've seen not that much. Like it's very little that I've seen that made me go, "Wow, this guy's should be you know well, it, right on Tom Banks." It shows you though, PCLs. you know, you have two good games, you have two very average games. Suddenly you're off the radar. Things change so quickly here, um, which makes it all all the more relevant for guys like Yuri Simone who. String, strung all these games together, they need to be recognised for that because it shows consistency, it shows poise in the way you play. Like, this is difficult week-to-week playing professional rugby at this level. Guys should be rewarded because that will build even more confidence. And just as a group, if you're picking on form, you're picking guys with positivity, um, they're not doubting themselves. And if you're picking from the Reds and the Brumbies, quite frankly, they're used to winning at the moment. So I think that's a good trend. That's that's the way you want to be going. You don't want to be picking randoms from the Rebels and Tars based on two years ago worth of form. Like, that's not... We can't be looking at things that way. You don't need to. You don't need to pick those guys just to make sure everyone's represented. You, you can't pick out so a few. You've got to pick for the future. And Rennie, Rennie should do that as a new Wallabies you know, coach. He's got a clean slate. He should be able to do that. So bearing all that in mind, guys, we've obviously gone through and I think we've pretty much named who you would have in your 23 maybe there's a couple extra names in there I want to go through some names and tell me whether they are making your wallaby squad or not uh so starting up front Tom Robinson no not at this stage I'd, I'd pick Angus good. Bell over him yeah okay cool um probably form for that side if, if Angus Bell's starting it's going to be hard to pick Tom Robertson. Angus Bell won't be starting. He's been sent back to club rugby and he's not going to be able to re-enter the Super Rugby AU bubble for the rest of the weeks. Well, he's not going to get picked then. So, <laughs> That's a shame. Tom Robinson out. Pome Farmacilli, in or out? Looking all the more likely now. As yeah, a, I guess... Fifth or sixth prop. So what, he's up against like Harry Johnson-Holmes or... Um, Come Who on, boys! Quick, quick game's a good Harry game. Harry Hooper, you know. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, big I'm, names left. I, I don't want to. I don't want to reward a guy like that who's been a flash in the pan so far. Okay, so out. I think it's a stretch. Okay, um, Ned Hannigan. Out. No. Hasn't done. Uh, I skipped hooker there. Jordan Uwalacy. Ian, he'll be the third hooker. Yeah, unfortunately, he probably will be. He's playing Tom much Horton, better. Tom Horton does mention, but Ulysses is incumbent, yeah. Lockie Swinton. No. Yeah, he should be in. there. What? We'll see there. You think he's in? Jack Dempsey. No, too, too many good back rows. Jack no. Dempsey, I'm not sure. I think they'd pick Dempsey over Swinton. I think they probably do as well, but I think I'd rather have Swinton for now. Interesting. Uh, Tamua, you think he'll be there, yeah? He'll be there, but he shouldn't be in any starting side. (laughs) Hodge, you think he's in or out? In. 
in probably. He's, but... he's, he's on the cusp of missing out, though. He's on the cusp because we should be putting more young guys in, but you've got to get the balance in but the rest of the squad. he's like 25 as well. He's pretty young still. You, you forget that. He's, yeah. He started very early. Um, but the, the way that Vessels moves him around in that back line is doing him a massive no disservice. Yeah. Billy Meeks? Out. If you're looking for pure inside centres, I mean, he's one of the few that is actually playing inside centre all the time. Um, nearly, I don't. Yeah, nearly the only guy, apart from yeah. Ray. The only other guy oh, would Hamish be. I don't think. Carl Michael Hunt. I don't think his well. form warrants it. Yeah, I, I don't think his form warrants it really. But he's, if he was in form, I wouldn't be cruising. Him. He does enough, but he's not. You know, he's not he's really bringing that player. X factor. He's just he's cruising along at a very consistent average level of play. So it's a no from me. Could be a lot better in a better I'd team. rather Tamura at 12 for the Wallabies than Billy Ooh, Meeks. That's a big call. Um, Andrew Callaway. Keep, get in. I think he's, he's the out. one from the Rebels that's actually worth getting in. I think he's out for me. Chris Fowley's Saltier. He's in. For me, he's, he's injured. In. He's injured, he's injured again, isn't so. he? This is a guy that continually gets injured, and this is an issue because... So many, you know, brief moments of brilliance and then he's gone again for six weeks and then how's he going to get picked on that? I don't think you can do it. Matt Phillip. Out. And purely because he's leaving Australian rugby. He's made a, a really bad call. Simmons is going as well, which opens up another spot potentially. If Phillip committed to Australian rugby next year, he'd be in the squad. Yeah, that's really hard. It's for me. It's it's I, it's an in, but it's only because um, we need someone to plug the gap. But if anything, I guess you give him a chance, and you say, you know, if if you if you if you do develop, we want we would want you to come back. Um, this is what it's, it's too like. Late, I think it's it, it is a bit of a waste. But do you bring someone in who's completely not ready and and out of nowhere? Thing is, he would have been negotiating this contract. Potentially when Rennie told him, look, you're not on the long list, which could have happened, but when Rodder was in the frame, when Hawkins was in the frame, when you had Caden Neville playing well for the Brumbies early on, and he thought, you know what, I'm probably the sixth or seventh choice again, but this is not going to happen. Got to take the payday now, whilst I'm still got a relatively good level of rugby going. And suddenly, he's probably finding himself third or fourth best lock in Australia currently. So he'd be in the team. I think, based on that. But now I think that's going to put him out of favour with the coach again, potentially, and I don't think he'll be picked just based on looking towards the next World Cup. I don't think he'll be in the in the picture. And I don't hold it against him. If that's how it's played out, then he's been it's receiving signals that you're not in the pictures. But now things have changed and he's committed somewhere else. That's that's entirely fair. Um I think I think if he wasn't going somewhere else, I'd definitely have him in, and I'm only questioning it because he is. All right, we'll call it time on Wallaby Watch there, and we'll quickly go through some picks. We've already gone pretty long here, boys. Um, this weekend, starting on Friday night, we have the Rebels hosting the Brumbies, but once again, we're down there at Leichhardt Oval. Um, so, picks between this. Uh, 
probably, I think, a closer game than it should be. If it was a GIO, I think the Brumbies would run away with it, but I can see the Rebels keeping it close. I would definitely take the Brumbies, though, in this one. Yeah, no hesitation, Brumbies. Yeah, easily Brumbies for me. Then we go across the ditch. Saturday afternoon, we have the Hurricanes hosting the Chiefs down there in Wellington Sky Stadium. Hurricanes needing this to keep their hopes of finishing top of the table at any way alive. The Chiefs have to win eventually, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm have thinking to. this might be the one. I think the Canes might be getting ahead this of This is themselves. their last game. This is the Chiefs' last game of this competition. Canes oh. are coming off the bye. Oh. I, think, I think the Canes might, because they're on a bit of a streak, I think maybe they'll go into this a little more confident than they should be, and I think the Chiefs could steal it. I don't know. This is really hard. Need to see the, say the Hurricanes. Chiefs. I think the, I think the Chiefs do fail to win. Chiefs. Unfortunately, I think the Hurricanes win, and the Chiefs. You know, if they're not up in the first thirty, and it's all just looking inevitable, I don't think they lift. Unfortunately, mm. there'll be three guys who want to get in the All Blacks. They lift, and everyone else is like, "This is, this is the worst. Let me out." <laughs> yeah, nightmare. it's feeling that way, isn't it? And yeah, but it it definitely has that air of it could be that sort of turnaround game after everything's gone wrong for the Chiefs over and over again um, going back to Australia we have the Waratahs hosting the Reds uh, so we're back to the reverse of round one um, down there at the Sydney Cricket Ground Waratahs coming off the bye Reds coming off the hard loss down at GIO do the Tars show something here? Do they make it closer again? I think I think the Reds can win um why they would... flew home at like 1am after the Brumbies. So they were straight back, um, back at home, resting and prepping. Um, I think I think they can win this game. I think the Waratahs will keep it close. But, you know, the Reds the Reds seem to be the team. They don't want to lose heart. Like, they're, they're keeping themselves in every game. They're not playing on emotion. I, I think they'll be able to bounce back from the Brumbies' close loss. Yeah, Reds should win this. I think they'd be massively disappointed if they dropped a, a game to the Tars. Um, look, if Rob Penny can work some magic. Maybe you can get them fired up and keep it close. We know it's always a fiery derby, but yeah, got to got to take the Reds. Yeah, got to wait till you see it from the Tars boys. Um, and then Crusade is hosting the Highlanders, and this clinches the Southern classic. Clinches the um, top spot in that New Zealand conference. Obviously, um, we highlighted earlier that there is no playoff round in the Super Rugby Aotearoa, so it's just top of the table wins at the end of the competition, unlike the Super Rugby AU. Um, and it looks like the Crusaders will lock it up here. Um, Is I have this no... in Christchurch? Christchurch. Yeah. Crusaders, easy. They're going to restart that yeah. winning streak at home. Take the next week off. Yeah. Four, yeah four I, I love the Crusaders too. All right. We might wrap it up there here, boys. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening through. I know a little bit of a long one, but... We got through some valuable knowledge. I, I hope Rennie's listening in and getting some valuable insight into what the um, Australian public and what the fans really want. Um, we'll be posting up a few of those teams up on our social media at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram or at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter. Um, make sure you have a look and comment if you think there's anyone we've missed out or think differently. Maybe you do think we need to put in that Tamura 12 and with a Patea 13 combo. Um, I don't think so, but quite yet, but we'll see. Um, otherwise, make sure you have subscribed to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We'll be back next week. 
We're getting closer to international rugby, boys. I'm getting excited again for the next step up, but we still got some great games this weekend. Until next week, keep on running. Run.